church. What is up? Nothing, nothing like coming out after a women's promo video. You know what I'm saying? They're like, is that guy the spokesperson for them? No, I am not. Uh, but ladies, you need to sign up for that. That's going to be incredible. Uh, I want to welcome our Boynton campus into the room and all of those joining us at church at home. In the room, can we welcome them? Awesome. Uh, my name is Josh. If you haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and I'm just thrilled to be speaking to you guys today. What an amazing series we've been in. If you've been here and this series has meant something to you or over at Boynton or at Church at Home, uh, could you make some noise for Jesus? If it's, if it's helped you, if it's spoken to your life, man, what an important topic. Uh, that we're facing of anxiety and despair and depression. Uh, like Pastor Scott said, uh, Pastor Will Hutcherson uh, co-wrote a book uh, with Dr. Chinway Williams. Incredible, incredible. Uh, it's a small book. I love small books, by the way. I am a reader, uh, but I like books when they're small uh, and they make sense. And that book is small and it makes sense. And so uh, today is actually the last day you can purchase that at both of our campuses or you can find it uh, on Amazon or anywhere that you can purchase a book. Uh, it's so helpful. Uh, I've read it, several of my friends have read it, parents especially. Man, if you've got a teenager, middle school, high school, number one, we're praying for you, okay? Number two, uh, that book is an, a massive resource. You need to grab it today uh, if you can. And I love uh, so much so, Pastor uh, Will, he, he really launched us and kicked us off in week one, talking about some of the brain science. I love that uh, this is just both a, a spiritual and a natural thing, a scientific and a spiritual thing. Talked about the brain science and that when anxiety and depression come and we're overwhelmed, uh, we actually have a dispairing of the logical and emotional side of our brain. He encouraged us to slow down. How, how do we meet people in that place of their anxiety and, and despair? Well, we need to slow down. We need to see them and listen to them. It was an amazing talk. You can go back, listen to that online. It will bless you. I promise you that. And then week two, my brother from another mother, Pastor Junior. I love that guy. He brought it home last weekend. If that blessed you so much, talking about the power of connection that we need community. We need to be connected to people. And that, that actually brings about healing in our lives from these things. And today I get to wrap up our series scene, and I'm fired up about it. But before I even get into my talk, I wanted to say something. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again because I think it, it, it really bars saying again. And it's this, just because you wrestle with anxiety or despair or depression does not mean you are defined by it or defeated by it. Can I get an amen? Like over at Boy in a church at home, can I get an amen? Because you're not defined or defeated by it. And we live in a culture where very, very quickly we're defining ourselves by our issues and therefore being defeated by them. But I want to give you hope right off the bat that there is hope, there is victory. We can have freedom and healing from these things. We just sang about it this morning. I'm still kind of shook up from worship, to be honest with you. Worship was fire, was it not? Here at Lake Worth, I'm sure over at Boy in church at home. Hope you were blessed by it. But it's his cross that brings us freedom, his stripes that bring us healing. Either that's a cute little lyric or that is the truth. It's either a cute lyric with a nice melody to it or it's the truth that we can actually have freedom from these things. So I want to give some hope right off the bat. And we're going to dive in and finish today the series scene with a talk about the importance of being seen by God. At the end of the day, I believe that every person at the very core of who we are desires to be seen and known by God. We desire to know where we stand with him. 
Like, does he see me? Does he know me? Is he aware of me? Even people who don't really believe in God, it's interesting. You'll hear them uh, talk about this at funerals even maybe. People will say nice things to comfort people like, hey, at least they're in a better place. They, they may not even believe in God, but we throw things out there because we actually, it's, it's hardwired inside of us, the Bible says, this thing about eternity, about knowing God and being known by him. It's hardwired into our DNA. And so we say things like that because we want to know at the end of the day that everything's going to be all right. That if there is a God out there, am I in right standing with him? Does he even see me? It's absolutely critical that we answer that question and we address that issue today. I think it's so important that we know that we're seen by God. We actually have to reframe, I believe, today how we see him and how he sees us. I, we, we need to correctly see him. Hear, hear me when I say this. We need to correctly see him so we can see ourselves correctly and others correctly. A.W. Tozer said it's the most important thing is what you think about when you think about God. It's the most important thing about you. What comes to mind, he said, when you think about God, it's the absolutely most important thing about you. Why? Because it, it reframes your life. It shapes how you think, what you believe, how you act. So, so I think what I want to establish today right off the bat is this, is that we actually need to look at who God is and have the right view of him. I've got a list here, but I, I could exhaust this list, trust me, and, and still be wanting even after exhausting this list. But I think we need to remember who our God is and to see him correctly and we can see ourselves correctly. I even thought about this. I, I framed it this way, maybe I, I thought about it. I need to see the great I am to know who I am. <laughs> Maybe that's a way to remember it. I need to see the great I am in order to know who I am. Am I in right standing with him? Does he see me? Is he involved? Because it matters. I think it matters so much so. But we need to remind ourselves who this God is that we serve. So you're going to lean in with me. You can give amens. You can lean into all of this. It would be great if you give me feedback here. But he is good and always will be good. Our God is good. Amen. All the time God is good, right? He is love. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the miracle worker and the promise keeper. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's the creator and the sustainer. He is the redeemer of mankind. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is Father and he is God. Amen? That's who our God is. And the list goes on and on and on. But I want to I highlight a foundational character trait, I think, of our God that I love so much. And this actually brings a lot of help and healing to me when I, when I battle anxiety or despair or depression. This helps me so much. And it's this, is that he never changes. Oh, doesn't that, doesn't that bring you so much peace and comfort to know that our God never changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's constant. So when I do this and my emotions do this and life does this, I believe he tracks with me for sure. He's in all of it with me. He is in the valley and on the mountaintop with me. But his character is so consistent. He's faithful and true. So the question is, what has changed? The answer, I believe, is this. What, what's changed is how we see him. And this is as old as time, right? This is as old as Adam and Eve. What's changed, I really believe, is how we see him. Do you remember Adam and Eve? 
I mean, it's the first few pages of scripture. It's unbelievable how quickly mankind screwed up the story, because we did, absolutely. The devil snuck in real quick, and it's like a paragraph between we're walking in the garden, you know, in the cool of the day with God, and then all of a sudden, we find Adam and Eve instead of walking in the garden to hiding in the garden. What changed? What changed? We, we find Adam and Eve in this amazing relationship with God, and everything's hunky-dory, and all the animals are nice, and everything's going great, and there's food to eat, and there's abundance. And all of a sudden, we see Adam and Eve walking in the garden one moment in the cool of the day with God to hiding in the garden from him. One moment feeling safe and close and near and seen, and the next moment they believe we're in trouble. We're fearful and afraid. We're going to hide. We're going to cover ourselves up. Well, the, the truth of this is that sin and the devil always distort our view of God. That's, that's the goal, by the way. The devil came in. What did he start telling Adam and Eve right off the bat? He told Eve. He, he's trying to mess with the picture of who God is. Instantly, he's trying to get her to doubt his goodness. Did he really say, is he really that good? Do you know that for sure? Is he not holding out on you? I bet he is. Trying to distort the view. And then they sin. And it distorts the view of themselves. And they think we can't be seen by God anymore. We actually have to cover ourselves up and go hide. You know, I think sin and, and the devil really distort our views of God, and I think that's carried through time. And I think there's actually three distortions, the way that we view them. I think there's three main distorted views that people carry. The first is this, is that we really believe that God is an angry God. Anyone relate with that? Like you grew up thinking that God was just really ticked off all the time. You're like, he's just mad. You got to walk on eggshells around him. He's just really frustrated. He hates sinners. And he's just, man, he's just ticked off all the time. He's the guy, the big white beard in the cloud, leaning over the railing of heaven with a lightning bolt. He cannot wait to strike your life because of all your many sins. And we kind of giggle about that. But so many of us carried that view of God. I did. I'll talk about that in a minute. That God is just so angry. He's so frustrated, never pleased. I talk about this too. So with each distorted view, I think it produces a kind of a spirit in our lives. And I think this view of God, the angry view of God, it really produces a spirit of fear in us. Oh, he's so angry. I, I got to cover up. He can't see me. Like, I, I can't be near to him. He's so mad. Right? We, we think that's who he is. The second distorted view is this. It's the inspecting God. It's this investigator, detective God, right? This is the God who's constantly, if he's not angry, he's like peering into your life and like really looking for something to be mad about, right? This is, this is like the parent of the teenage uh, kid, right? This is like the teenage, um, maybe the mom of a teenager, right? You're, anyone have a mom like this that like she would like kick in your bedroom door like a federal agent? Un unannounced and just start rummaging through your stuff looking for paraphernalia. Anyone have that mom? Just terrify you. I see some teenagers like, yeah, I have that mom right now. Sorry, mom. It's terrifying though. But like people, this is like our view of God, the inspecting God, that he's ready to kick in your door at any moment and look for something. He's inspecting. He's trying to find the fault, find the failure. And inevitably, right, because we all have our junk, Inevitably, he finds something, 
At least we believe that to be true. And I believe this produces a spirit of shame in us. Because inevitably, the inspecting God who knows all things is going to find something wrong in my life. And now I carry shame and guilt. And I don't know if he wants to see me or be close to me because of the stuff that he's found in my life. The third distorted view is this, is that he's distant. He's just distant. He, he doesn't know and he doesn't care. He kind of got your life going and then he just stepped away and said, good luck. This is the God we believe like the father who left for a pack of cigarettes that one day and never came back. That's the God who we think he, oh, he's just distant. He's kind of out there somewhere, but he does not care enough about my life to be close. He's distant, he's disengaged, he's just not interested. And this produces in us a spirit, an orphan spirit, I really believe. A spirit that feels rejected, alone, and abandoned. These are the three distortions I really see in people's lives. And I know this to be true because they were true in my own life. I grew up in a pretty cold religious church that, that I think talked a lot about the love of God, but I never really saw it. We preached the Bible a lot, but I didn't really see it lived out. And I'm just telling you, honestly, as a teenager, that's when I said deuces to the church. I said, see you later. I'm not buying any of this. What you're selling, I'm not buying. And, and here's what I remember so much so that God had to kind of rewire how I thought about him and see him because I did believe he was angry. He was always frustrated with me. And if he wasn't frustrated or he wasn't mad, he was inspecting my life to find something that he could be mad about and he would always find the thing and then I'd feel the shame and the guilt and then this, check it out, I would believe, look how these all work together. Then I believe he pushed away and was distant. He's angry. If he wasn't angry, he inspected my life to find something to be angry about. And once he found it, he would distance himself from me. Maybe, maybe not raise a hand, but I think some of us can relate to that. Maybe in the room or over at Boyan Church at home. Those three distorted views of God. But church, can I tell you, this is why I love Jesus so much. Because Jesus came with one purpose, right? He came to earth. Yes, to die for our sin, absolutely. But he actually came to earth to show us what the Father looked like. So many people had these bizarre views of who God was, right? You talk to anybody on the street today and ask them what God, or what is God like, you're gonna get a variety of answers. And Jesus came to cut through the nonsense and cut through all of the ideas, and he actually came on the scene and said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen God, you've seen the Father. It was actually one of the things that got him into a lot of trouble. It's actually one of the things that got him crucified. He he goes, he ups the ante a little bit. He goes, hey, you know me and the Father? You know Yahweh God, the one that you were so fearful of for so long you wouldn't even speak his name? You know that guy? He's my dad and he and I are one. He came on the scene to show people what God looked like. And I love that so much about him and I believe he's here today, church, to actually teach us and give us the correct view of who he is cut through the nonsense of our culture and and it's this God and that God and and there's all these ways and pathways and no, no, no. Jesus came on the scene and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what a good and gracious move too, isn't that? 
Think about that for a minute. Some people are like, that's so exclusive. I can't believe Jesus would say that. I don't know if I subscribe to that. But what a good, gracious God to come onto the scene and cut through the nonsense and the noise and say, hey, there is a way, and it's me. What a good and loving thing. Can you see that about our God? He's good, and he always will be. We, ho- we hoot and holler about that. But that's one of the best things that Jesus ever told humanity. Hey, you're looking for a way. You're looking for truth, and you're looking for life. It's me. How good is our God? And I love it, and I believe he's here to reframe how we view him, to give, him, to give us a correct view of him and who he is. I love a story. There's a story in Scripture that I so, I think, beautifully and eloquently uh, displays this for us. It's the story of Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you know Zacchaeus, right? There was a song, a hit song back in probably the 80s, 90s written about him. I'm not going to sing it, but you know what it is. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. It's like an Irish jig. I don't know why we went with, like, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Like, that's... If you didn't grow up in church, God bless you. Okay, you missed out on a lot, but you didn't miss out on that. Well, here's the story of Zacchaeus. We understand a few things about him. I'll set up a little backstory. Uh, Zacchaeus was a short man. We find that uh, in Scripture. He was, he was vertically challenged, we'll call it. Uh, not a big guy. Two, uh, we're going to read in the text that he was the chief tax collector. So a tax collector back then, a Jewish tax collector, would have been seen as the worst of worst. There was a category of sinners, right? And then they would put, they would say, the sinners and the tax collectors. Kind of up the ante, not, not even more so to up the ante, he's the chief of tax collectors. He's a Jewish man who betrays his own people, is hired by the Roman government to actually tax his own people and collect those debts. And we know he's very wealthy, and he got wealthy from cheating people. We know that through the story. So have I painted a picture of this snidely little guy, this, this Zacchaeus, wealthy, vertically challenged, and he's a tax collector, just hated by people. But what I actually think we find in this story right off the bat is a man who is desperate to be seen. A a man who had lived his entire life feeling unseen. Unseen by people and unseen by God. And Zacchaeus has a desire, which I believe we all have, to be seen by God and to see him correctly. So we pick up the story. This is in Luke 19. Verses 1 through 10. I'll read along. It's going to be on the screens for you. It's going to be a long passage of Scripture, so just hang with me. But Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Dude had some money. Uh, He wanted to see who Jesus was. That's important. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. And climbed a sycamore fig tree. That's going to be significant in a second. Sycamore trig tree, why, or fig tree, why is that in there? Since Jesus was coming that way. And then when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love verse 7. All the people saw this. There's always haters, everybody. Haters are everywhere. The people saw it and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times that amount. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Come on. That's just the Bible. And I'm thankful that you're clapping for the Bible. It's a really awesome book. You should read it sometime. It's great. It's got a lot of, I'm just messing. It's got a lot of good stuff in it, though. You should read it. Here's a, uh, a nerdy Bible fact. Are you guys ready? I love a good, that's my fake glasses that I'm pushing up. I love this. I love good nerdy Bible facts, okay? What's fascinating about the story, number one, Luke is the only account that this is in. The only account of the gospel, Luke decided to write this. This is going to be significant. Why does Luke write it? Luke writes it, I believe, because Luke felt unseen. Luke is actually the only Gentile writer that we know of the New Testament scripture. May, maybe felt like a religious outcast. Writing about Zacchaeus, who's a social outcast from his people. And why the sycamore tree? Why, did, why didn't it just say a fig tree or a big tall tree? Why do we know what type of tree it is? Because the sycamore tree was not native to that area. So if you will, it's a, a botanical outcast, if you will. But isn't it fascinating that the social outcast climbs the botanical outcast and then the religious outcast writes about it. And you're like, Josh, what's the point? Aren't you glad that God came for the outcasts? Aren't you glad that he decided to include us in the family? No matter how bad you screwed up, you're like, man, I just don't fit the bill. Exactly, that's the gospel. It's beautiful. And Luke is making a point here. He says, hey, maybe the other three Jewish writers of the Gospels, maybe they hated Zacchaeus. I don't know. Maybe they weren't a big fan of this guy. They would have known who he was. The chief tax collector, you know who Zacchaeus was. And the three of them chose not to write about him. Why Luke? Well, the Bible, uh, God loves a good underdog story, number one, but he loves the outcast. So glad he came for the outcast. And it's so important that we understand that reality because if we don't understand that reality, we will not respond to God correctly or view him correctly. And if we don't view him correctly, we'll never see how he views us correctly. It's so important that we get that, church. And, and here's what I want to highlight. There's some mistruths that I believe Zacchaeus believed in the story that maybe we can relate with today and learn from. The first is this, is he believed he needed to elevate himself in order to be seen. And maybe we can let the conviction settle in just a touch right there. Zacchaeus believed something about God that, that God would not pay attention to him. He would maybe get overlooked because of his height or whatever, maybe his past, who he was. So he says, you know what, i got to elevate myself. Maybe, maybe that's us. Maybe, maybe we're the people that feel like we need to elevate ourselves. We gotta puff ourselves up. We gotta look really good. We gotta do all the right stuff, say all the right things for God to even take notice. Maybe you can relate with Zacchaeus. We believe that we need to elevate ourselves to be seen. Maybe Jesus would miss him. He's thinking, I'm too short. If I'm just one of the crowd, he's going to pass me over. He won't see me, so let me elevate myself. So he runs ahead, and he climbs up the tree. But check this out. What I love so much about the story, we read this. Is that it says that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. 
Not when Zacchaeus saw Jesus coming to reach the spot. It says when Jesus himself, when he reached the spot. You're like, Josh, what are you saying? Jesus knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. Like a heat-seeking missile, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Where's the little guy? i got to find him. I'm here for him. Where, where is he? I know he's around here somewhere. And it says he reached the spot and he looks up. He sees him. <laughs> Come on, church. Is it making sense? He shows up. He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. And church, can I comfort you with this? He knows exactly where you are. It's easy to blend in here over at Boynton or at church at home. You're like, man, I'm just a number I'm a face in the crowd. No, 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 no. No matter how short, how tall, no matter what you look like, color of skin, it does not matter. He sees you. And that's critical to know about the gospel. It's easy to believe that God so loved the world, right? It's so nice and easy, and that sounds so beautiful and so eloquent. He loved the whole world. Look at how much he loves. But then when people are like, you know, I'll ask people, do you believe he loves you? Do you believe he likes you? Maybe the answers start to change. We're good with the whole world. But does Jesus see me? He knew right where Zacchaeus was. He stops at the spot and he says, ah, oh, there he is. <laughs> We're living in a society, guys, that, that is constantly trying to elevate themselves to be seen. I mean, social media has just exploded this idea of trying to be seen. How many likes, how many views, how many thumbs up, how many subscribers, they're dying. People are really asking the question, do you see me? How many people are showing up to my page in my life to see me, am I seen? People are dying for it, we're clamoring for it everywhere. And Zacchaeus could relate. The second mistruth that we see, oh, you know what, no, we, gotta, we actually gotta combat mistruth with a truth. You guys ready for the truth? This is powerful. Instead of elevating ourselves, James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Church, I, hear me in the, in the kindest way I can say this. Get down from your tree. You don't have to elevate yourself. He knows right where you are. And he looks at Zacchaeus, and I can see Jesus with a smile on his face. He's like, get down here. Come on, dude. I got to go to your house. I got to go have a meal with you. I, I got to sit down and look you in the eye and let you know that you're seen. The second mistruth, he believed that Jesus might not care enough about him to be seen. Well, if I'm just another person in the crowd, there's no way that Jesus would care enough to like slow down, to look for me, to actually find me and see me. And I think here we can doubt the goodness of God so often in our lives. Church, I hate to admit it, but I'm more like Zacchaeus more often than I like to admit. That, that maybe I do, I, I, I believe that maybe he's not good enough to see me, to slow down, to actually care about what's happening in my life. Maybe that's resonating with you today and you can learn from Zacchaeus. You can learn from the story what God's true heart is for you. I love the story of the, um, the lost sheep. I love this story so much because I actually think this is Zacchaeus. The, the more I've read the story and the more I've read Zacchaeus' account, I'm like, this is, this is Zacchaeus all the way. The lost sheep, right? This is where we get the song, Reckless Love. He leaves the 99 to find the one. That's the good shepherd. 
This is the parable of the sheep. He's lost. And, and it says that Jesus, he would glad, the good shepherd would gladly leave the 99 to find the one. Is, is Zacchaeus not the lost sheep of Israel? Like left the fold, went and did his own thing? And we would think, no, Jesus is a, a wise, responsible shepherd. He's going to stay with the 99. He's going to kind of count the one as a loss and be like, hey, at least I got the flock still. The 99's intact. But he leaves and goes and finds the one. And it says he gladly does. And when he brings it back, they throw a party for the one. He says, no, this sheep of mine was lost and it's now found. I love our church. I love how uh, we, we've got some pretty unchurched people here. I love. I had a conversation with a guy in the lobby one time about this story because he heard the song "Reckless Love," and very innocently and honestly, he came up to me. He's like, "Hey, Pastor, uh, tell me about the story about the ninety-nine leaves." And I was like, "It's ninety-nine sheep. It's not leaves." So I had to like explain it, which I love so much, but with a big old grin on my face. I got to tell him about the 99. I got to tell him about the, the, the one that strayed away and that God would love somebody so much he'd leave the 99 to go find him. Zacchaeus believed that, that maybe God's not caring enough. Maybe he's not good enough. Maybe he just doesn't love me enough or care for me enough to actually believe that he'd stop, slow down, and look for me. Maybe he doesn't care. But the Bible, I love it. The truth of God's word just flies in the face of that. Check this out. And we're talking about anxiety and despair and depression, right? All through this series. 1 Peter 5, 7. Look at this, church. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The word of God says, no, 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 take it all. Take all the stuff, all the junk, all the anxiety. You can cast it right onto him. Why? Because he does care for you. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Don't buy into, oh, he can never love a person like me. I've done too much. I've done too much wrong. He'd gladly leave the 99 to find the one. The last mistruth that the Zacchaeus believed that maybe you can relate to is this. Is he believed he was not in the right place to be seen. And, and maybe church, you today hear it over at Boynton or church at home. You're like, dude, I'm just not in the right spot in life right now to be seen by him. I'm just not in the right place spiritually. I'm not in the right place. If I could just get cleaned up a little bit, then God might pay attention. I got to get my act together a little bit. I, I got I to gotta really do some things and, and kind of uh, earn my way back. I'll hear people say all this, or this all the time that, that I got to make up for lost time. It's just not true. Jesus loves Zacchaeus right where he was at. He finds the spot. He looks up, up at him and says, hey, would you get down here? I see who you are. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. And I love you just the same. There's a quote. I've quoted this so many times here, and I hope you guys never get sick of it. It's one of my favorite. This is Brennan Manning. He says this, that God loves us just as we are and not as we should be because none of us are as we should be. Can I get an amen to that? God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. Here's the truth to combat that mistruth that Zacchaeus believed, Romans 5, 8. But God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that translation. God proves the point. 
He's driving that point home. He says, hey, people are going to doubt that I love them, that I care. I need to prove my love to them. I need to show them. And this is how I'll prove it, that while they're still sinners, I'll die for them. I'll make the first move every time. They'll believe that, I, that they couldn't measure up. They'll believe that they've done too much wrong. They'll believe they're not in the right spot. And I love this. Even in the story, all the people mutter, it says. The haters. They say he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Jesus loved being the guest of sinners. In fact, so much so that they, they had a mocking nickname for him that he was the friend of sinners. They called him a drunkard and a glutton because of how much he hung out with sinners. He loved hanging out with sinners. Church, can I comfort you with that, that he knows exactly where you are. He loves you so much. He sees you right where you're at. You don't need to elevate yourself. He would love to be the friend of sinner to you. And what I love so much about the story, he tells Zacchaeus to come down and shocks, I'm sure, the whole crowd and says, I got to go to that guy's house. Zacchaeus, come down. I, I need to stay with you. I need to break bread with you. I need to sit at a table and look you in the eye and let you know that I see you and I love you. That I would be glad to be seen with a guy like you. And the whole crowd can't even believe it. We've been talking a lot about this in the series, this kind of list of things that the book has encouraged us to do. And I want you to see it in the story. Here's the list, the response of Jesus, because he's so much better and he's so much different than we believe him to be. But he shows up, he slowed down, he sees him, he listens to him because they end up journeying along the road, they end up having this relational connection together. He speaks life to them, to him and walks alongside of him. I mean, he completes the whole list. Jesus does the old classic, invite himself over. You know these friends of yours, you guys got these friends. He's like, hey, I'm inviting myself over. I gotta have a meal with you. It's Sunday, we're gonna cook up some sauce, we're gonna cook up some gravy. I'm gonna break bread, I'm gonna look you in the eye. Come on, anybody. Anyone love a good gravy on Sunday? It's sauce, I know, depending on where you're from. It's sauce or gravy, I get it. He says, I need, I need to, to look you in the eye, Zacchaeus. Get down from that tree, don't elevate yourself. I love you more than you know. And church, he's saying the same thing to us today. So what should our response be? What's our response to that? Look at, look at Zacchaeus' response. Maybe, maybe some of us need to get down from the tree and humble ourselves. And realized I don't need to do all the stuff and I don't need to do the song and the dance to please God. I don't need to do all of these things. He loves me right where I'm at. But he's good enough not to leave you there either. Maybe some of us need to cast our anxiety on him. We felt like we needed to carry our anxiety and our depression and the stuff that's been weighing us down. But he says, no, 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 I care about you. Cast it on me. Maybe some of us need to realize that he loves us right where we are. And rest in that truth today. I love Zacchaeus. Look at the response of Zacchaeus, though. If this is not a definition of repentance, I don't know what is. Talk about a 180 in this guy's life. Zacchaeus, here's his response, just so you can see it in a full picture. But, but Zacchaeus stood up. 
and said to him, Lord, look, look, Lord. What's he saying? See me, Lord. Do you see me? He says, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation's come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. And here's the, here's the verse I want you to see. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you see it? He sees him. He says, Zacchaeus, I see you. And that's exactly why I told you to come down. Because you needed to know. You felt unseen your whole life. But the God of heaven, the creator, the redeemer, the Messiah of Israel has slowed down and found a lost sheep. And he says, I see you and I love you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Church, I want to end with this because I believe there's some people in the room today that, that need to make this decision, that they've actually felt unseen their entire life. And maybe today something's connecting. Some of the dots are connecting. The wires are finally connecting. And something's firing for the first time. And you're like, hey, I need to make that decision to come down from that tree and meet Jesus face to face to surrender my life to him, to walk along that road with him. And I'm telling you, church, he's knocking on the door of your life and he's saying, I want that place. You don't need to elevate yourself anymore. I care so much about you. Don't doubt my love. You can cast anything onto me because I care for you. And we're gonna have in just a moment at each of our campuses, one of our pastors come out and lead you through that chance, that opportunity to make that decision today. But as I close, I want to pray something over. If you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room, over at Boy and at church at home, I want to pray something over you. And this is an old benediction. It actually was made into a, a song recently, a pretty popular song. But we pray this over our kids every single night. And as I was prepping for this message, this stuck out to me and made so much more sense about being seen by God and how important it is. Let me pray this over you. It says this, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Listen, church, make his face to shine upon you. Would you know that you're seen by the Father today? It goes on, it says, may he raise his countenance upon you. It's reiterating that, that desire for God to look on your life, that he's going to raise his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. He's better than you ever thought he was. And give you peace. Let me read it one more time and I'll close. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. May he raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Jesus, we receive that today. Maybe there's people who have been riddled with anxiety and depression for too long. Father, would you connect the dots that I could never connect? That maybe this is more spiritual than we would have thought. And the reality of being seen and loved and known by you can heal something in us today. Maybe there's people for the first time, they have never surrendered their life to you, Father. Would they do that now? Father, would they not wait? Would salvation today come to their house like it came to Zacchaeus's? And we pray all that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Love you, church.